Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from For State and Country, a novella of alternate history written by Mark Ciccone, an alternate history of Civil War events. In the spring of 1861, the bombardment of Fort Sumter might have ended with the garrison's rapid surrender and their dignified return to the north. Instead, the fort was laid completely to waste when its armory was struck with the loss of every man, provoking a storm of vengeful anger across the north, and prompting some moderate southerners to view the secessionist cause and the threat of civil war with greater concern and alarm. Among their number is a U.S. Army colonel, Robert E. Lee, Scion of one of Virginia's most powerful and respected families, he has spent his entire adult life in the uniform of the United States and risen high in every respect. Yet he also holds a deep and abiding devotion to the South and his home state, far deeper than any other, save for his own family. Now with Sumter in ruins and Virginia teetering between loyalty and secession, Lee must make his choice. To him, secession poses great danger and potential destruction to the entire nation, a danger that will be brought to his own home should Virginia choose this course. But if his home state leaves the Union he has served for so long, can he continue his service to that Union? And if he can, will he be forced to lead armies against his birthplace? thus branding himself a traitor across the South? What will be the consequences for himself and the country? And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from For State and Country. Fort Sumter, Charleston, South Carolina, April 13, 1861. Chapter 1. The thundering of cannon from the West had been continuous since daybreak, replacing the heavy nighttime storms that had in turn supplanted the firing all through the previous day. A thick pall of smoke hung over the fort like those departed clouds, turning day into twilight or near enough. Major Robert Anderson coughed as a sudden breeze blew a dusting of cinders in his face. Waving these away, he surveyed the scene in front of him again. From where he stood, at the northeast corner of the casemate, the fort's ground level, it was a grim sight. Large chunks had been bitten out of the fort's parapet and inner masonry walls everywhere he looked, by direct or glancing hits. A large breach had been opened in the gorge wall to the southeast. The barracks and officers' quarters were so riddled by shot and fire it seemed a miracle, or blind luck, that they were still standing. The parade ground was a landscape of shell craters and rubble. Little fires sputtered here and there from piles of shattered brick and wood. Nothing to be done about those, though, the artillery officer and fort commander thought grimly. Three of the fort's iron-water cisterns had already been destroyed in yesterday's barrage, and every one of the eighty-five men he commanded was needed in five places at once as it was, in some cases already battling other fires. The first day's shelling had been dangerous, but in some ways less threatening. Many rounds had passed harmlessly above or fallen short of the fort, evidence of the Charleston gunner's inexperience. Now, however, the fire was improving, almost by the minute. His old friend, General Beauregard, 
must be putting his own skill at artillery, which Anderson had schooled him in at West Point, to good use. There had been no deaths as yet, and few injuries, but that would soon change if the shelling went on for much longer. Even without the shelling, the dwindling stores would decide the garrison's fate, and soon. They'd served out the last of their rice earlier in the morning, and the pork, hardtack, and other foodstuffs were nearly gone as well. He cast a brief, frustrated look to the east, in the direction of the three ships he'd seen anchored off the sandbar at dawn, all flying U.S. colors. A relief expedition, no doubt, but the fire from the shore had forced them back from any attempt at sending boats to the fort, and then the vessels had set idle all through the night's lull. There was a slim chance, growing slimmer with every shell that landed, that they could last until nightfall, at which time, he could only pray, another attempt would be made to resupply the increasingly crumbling fort. If not, a whistling through the air cut cleanly through these thoughts. Shot! A man's voice bellowed from the wall above, a little to his right. Anderson ducked into the nearest alcove of the casemate. Across the way, half a dozen men, carrying powder bags from the magazine, dove for cover of their own. The shot streaked overhead and slammed into the officers' quarters. Flames burst from the gaping holes and a few intact windows in the wooden structure, rising fast and adding more smoke to the swirling clouds. He hid a momentary smile, despite the damage and danger. Peter Hart, an ex-sergeant and aide of his from the Mexican War, had volunteered the day before to walk the parapet, shouting out to signal the rest of the garrison of incoming rounds, the most dangerous duty imaginable in their present circumstances. He had been unerringly right almost every time he called a warning, and probably saved every man in the garrison several times over by now. More shots flew, burying themselves in the exterior walls with rumbling thuds that shook the whole structure. Closer, louder blasts came from the fort's few manned cannons. They were short of everything but shot, for the moment, and the crews weren't hesitating. The men from the armory began to stand up cautiously. Three of them broke away from their comrades and trotted across the parade ground. The lead man was in officer's uniform and waving in Anderson's direction. He climbed out from his shelter and moved closer, squinting through the haze and bringing a hand to his eyes. The man's features gradually resolved into those of Captain John Foster, the fort's main engineer. The other officer waved in the direction of the quarters. They're fighting more and more hot shots, sir, he shouted. His voice was just audible over the shriek of another shell's passage. Fire's spreading fast. Too fast for what water we have, and the powder magazine is just one floor below. If we don't secure the ammunition now, the entire stockpile will go up. Anderson surveyed the damage in one sharp look. Sure enough, the fire was licking its way across the upper level of the quarters, throwing sparks and embers toward the doors of the magazine. Even if the fire didn't penetrate these, it would easily stretch in a wide swath before them, cutting off resupply for the guns, until the sheer heat set off every round in the stores. Very well, Captain, he bawled back. Gather every man that can be spared, and have them carry out as much powder as possible. Distribute it through the castmates as needed. Then, seal the doors by any and all means. Foster gave a quick salute then turned to the two men beside him, both privates. Hugh, Galloway, come with me. Two of the fort's cannons discharged nearby, drowning out part of his next words. 
before the next one. He got no farther than this. Hart's shout of shot came at nearly the same instant as the round screeched in. Anderson ducked instinctively as it glanced off the traverse set in front of the magazine and plunged through the chamber's left door. The front of the fort's southwest quarter disappeared in a titanic roar of fire, smoke, and dust as every one of the 300 barrels of powder and shot detonated. Blast seized Anderson like a giant's hand, hurling him against the nearest wall. Chunks of earth, brick, and smoldering wood spiraled in all directions, some as large as a man or more. Anderson coughed and tried to sit up. Then he felt blood dripping from his lips and down his chin. He looked down to see his legs, twisted and mangled, and the large sliver of wood protruding from the stomach of his dust-caked blue uniform. Someone was groaning like an animal close by. After a moment, he realized it was himself. Clenching his teeth against the pain, Anderson looked up blearily. Foster and the two privates were lying several yards away, strewn around a fresh crater. The captain was motionless, almost torn in half. Private Galloway lay on his face, blood already pooling around his chest. His mouth was still opening and closing slowly, like a fish pulled from the water. Private Hugh, Daniel, Anderson remembered his Christian name was, sat not three feet distant, looking around him in a confused, half-asleep way. He leaned over and grasped something a few feet beside him, a severed arm, the torn edge still dripping. When he swiveled in Anderson's direction, the Major saw the ragged, bloody stump at his right shoulder. Hugh looked about once more, then quietly collapsed, with boneless finality. Fresh explosions tore at the fort from all around, sending deep tremors throughout the foundation. The world began to gray at the edges of Anderson's vision. Forcing his eyes to stay open, he looked to the left and saw a tall, slightly portly fellow in officer's uniform, shouting and waving to a clutch of soldiers emerging from the northwest casement. Abner Doubleday, his second in command. Just as Anderson grasped this, a third blast erupted from somewhere within the casement. More ammunition ignited or a shot from on shore. Doubleday and the others were swallowed in a swirl of dust and orange light, Anderson tried to call out, but all that emerged was a spurt of blood, thick and metallic. He slumped back, sitting up against the brick wall. Craning his head to the side, he could see a rectangular stretch of cloth, charred at the edges and lying spread atop a pile of earth and powdered smoking brick. The red horizontal stripes were plain to see, as was the blue canton, with 33 stars arranged in a diamond-shaped pattern. How many stars will soon be gone from it, the Major wondered, almost abstractly. His head drooped, resting on his shoulder. More detonations roiled the fort, but Anderson never heard them, or anything else, again. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from For State and Country. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com audible.com and itunes.com